Hey there, Three Song Story listeners. This is just a bit of a warning. This week's episode covers some pretty heavy topics, and if you usually listen to this show with your family and there are kids present, you may want to consider screening it first, because we cover topics like domestic abuse, and there are descriptions of violence. We think the stories in this episode are really, really good and really important, but we didn't want you to go in not knowing about those. On to the show. One, two, three... Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that explores our guests' personalities and personal histories through the songs that have touched their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Ken Fay Marodi. Ken Fay is a documentary visual journalist and creator of Hopeful Images. It's an initiative that helps nonprofits and community organizations tell their stories through compelling visuals and campaigns. He's a partner at the Southwest Florida Community Foundation's Collaboratory in downtown Fort Myers. Prior to creating Hopeful Images, Ken Fay captured moments for the news press, USA Today Network, from 2004 to 2019, and during the Iraq War for the St. Petersburg Times, now the Tampa Bay Times. His award-winning moments from the war, impoverished communities, mass shootings, and on social topics speak to life's beautiful struggles. Ken Fay was born and raised in foster care in the projects of Chicago. He's a U.S. Air Force veteran, an avid runner, and a father. We talked about getting him in here before everything shut down back in March, but now we finally made it happen, so here we go. Hey there, Ken Fay. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's so nice to have you here. When I ran into you that one day at the collaboratory and you confessed your your enjoyment of WGCU, it made me really happy because I didn't know, you know, you don't know who listens, who doesn't. So I'm glad you can be here with us. It's good to be here. I think um, like we are all storytellers, right? Right. And like I haven't owned a television in 30 years. And so what that means is that I rely on audio storytellers to like... Uh, guide me through the world and then I paint pictures in my head of their stories and so I think that you know uh, people like yourself and uh, John I think it's John Davis it is and uh, Julie Glenn and and others you know I um, I kind of rely on you for not so much the news but for um, the stories you tell and so I think uh, that makes me a uh, a fan of a fan of you guys and so it's a uh, you know, uh, I turn off and, okay, I'm better hmm. because I heard a great story. And now you're here to tell stories with us. It's full circle. I love it. I doubt if I tell them as good as John Davis or you, <laughs> but I'll try. Well, yeah, I think you'll do fine. Okay, before we get to your, your musical background and everything, I want to know from you as a photographer, how long did you shoot film before digital came along? And what did you think when it first came along? I probably shot shot film maybe for six months oh really so you weren't you were right there at the beginning kind of right and i had to earn my way to a digital camera understood you know i had to prove first to the director of photography that i i understood the importance of exposing the frame correctly so you don't dishonor the trust that someone has given you by allowing them to document their life. So if Mike allows me to come and photograph the birth of his son, I need to make sure that I capture those moments 
so technically precise that it honors your trust in me. Hmm. So I had to earn my way to a digital camera. Love that. Love that. Okay. That was absolutely beautiful. So we're going to now get on the three song stories train now that we've talked about photography. We'll talk more about photography, I'm sure. Um, so what was the musical background of your childhood and where was that? Well, I was born in, in Chicago, Illinois. I don't know what the musical background of my childhood was. My memory of music entering my life wasn't until I was like seven years old. Okay. You see? So yeah, yeah. I didn't grow up in a traditional <laughs> home. You know, I grew up in foster care. So, you know, there were no... Uh, mom's records to listen to or things of that nature so um music came into my childhood by happenstance you might say yeah it was uh music was the song songs were band-aids huh. you you might want to say what would be an early song that you remember then you know about the time when you started you know finding the band-aids that's not one of these three okay I think um, Smokey Robinson had a song called Being With You, I believe. I don't care what you think, if you're leaving, <laughs> I'm going to beg you to stay. And, um, you know, he looked like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was uh, what we called high yellow. You know, he was light skinned with curly hair. So uh, I think I have a... I think the journalist in me is only going to reach for the true memories. I, I think uh, I remember that song. Hmm. Um, so you were in foster care from young all the way through until you were old enough to not be in foster care anymore? Yeah, I, I was in foster care, I believe, from the time I was three until I was 18 okay. when I was emancipated. Um, do you, When you got a little bit older, did you have any musical memories that were associated with any of those times, or did you not really have that as part of your you know formative years you know music really wasn't uh it wasn't a luxury for me it wasn't something that i took on as a hobby you know um music appeared you know it was flickering sometimes it was in my life and and sometimes it wasn't I think that I didn't embrace music until probably I was, you know, about through high school almost. So did you ever play an instrument? I guess not, but from what you said, it sounds like not. Or uh, No, actually, know. no. I, I taught myself to play the piano. Well, there's music <laughs> in your childhood. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, uh, that was a little bit, uh, you know, that was probably toward the, the latter part of high school. So when you say childhood, I, I probably uh, should include that in there. Yeah, how, how I taught myself to, to play the piano. Yeah, how did you manage that with the, it being in the foster system? Well, you know, I would, uh, I would be placed in, you know, a lot of homes on the south side of Chicago in the gospel church. I mean, you know, you would go to church from like 9 o'clock in the morning to like 9 o'clock at night, right? And so um, I was in the choir. You know, I wore black pants and a... Uh, and a white shirt and sang tenor, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, you quickly realize that, you know, 
the more you can do musically, you know, the more freedom you had, you know, you could kind of, you can go to the midnight musicals that they had throughout the South Side and, and you can sing and then go to Denny's and hang out at Denny's afterwards with the choir members and the singers. And um, somewhere along there, I just um, sat down at the piano and uh, just taught myself to play. Do you still play today? If you had to? Uh, I, I think I play when depression sits in. Yeah? Yeah. So I think it's, it's like a, a medicine? No. Just no, a, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's my way of acknowledging that I, I see you there, but I'm going to kind of use you for something creative, hmm. you might say. Um, what about choiring? You know, in your adult life, you know, there's well, right now it's kind of tough to be in a choir, but you know, I wasn't in an choir in my adult life. But when I was uh, in the Air Force, I auditioned for their traveling like vaudeville show called Tops in Blue. And that was uh, an ensemble that would travel the country and and perform at the different air bases. So you got pulled away from your job for a year and you got to, you know, like perform, mm. sing and dance and things of that nature. And you did that? Yeah, I auditioned and, uh, and, and, and I got chosen. So for a year I got to, you know, uh, you know go around and, um, you know, we sung a lot of pop standards, of course, at that time, not too much uh, R&B or country or anything like that. And uh, I got a chance to, you know, uh, to to sing then. Every now and then, I go down to uh, Miami, and, and uh, I've got some friends, and we hit a karaoke spot and kind of surprise everybody in the joint. Is what? there a song that you go to? I can't, I had to ask. Is there a song that you remember specifically from that that you sang or that you enjoyed more thoroughly? During that Air Force oh, time? Yeah. Uh, probably um, Steve Winwood back in the high life again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we sing and dance with one hand free. What was your uh, normal job in the Air Force, and how much better was traveling around singing than it? <laughs> okay, so when I joined, they said you can be an aerospace propulsion specialist, which really means I was a jet engine mechanic. <laughs> it sounds fancy, though, right? It sounds really good on paper. I know. It sounds really great, right? And so, you know, when I would write, you know, my friends, uh, I'm an aerospace propulsion specialist. You fill out that resume, you put aerospace <laughs> <laughs> propulsion specialist. But um, creativity for me is, uh, is a chore. It's, it's very stressful because there's a part of me that feels there's a great responsibility that storytellers like yourself, Tara or, 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 or John or whoever, Terry Gross, we have to tell the story as best we can. We have, you have to cut your vein to tell that story like Frida Kahlo painted, right? You look at her paintings and you think she cut her vein and just bled all over the canvas, right? So um, performing and stuff like that, it wasn't as enjoyable, believe it or not, as, uh-huh. as, um, as being with, you know, your brothers, you know, and sometimes, you know, um, your sisters and uh, in the engine shop working. Hmm. Uh, okay, it's almost time for song one. But first, I, I, sorry, I just want to point out, like that's this, this is this is rarefied air to be in that ensemble. Mm-hmm. There was thirty to thirty-five people in it when it like at, at any given time. That's that's out a, of the entire air force. That's a tight group, Kinfei. 
Well done. <laughs> Which means you must have some chops singing. I can't wait till we get to a certain part in this I'm conversation so where he may or may not be able to sing for us. I think <laughs> what it might be, I think what it might be, and I, and I keep referring to you guys, but, uh, you know, you're just willing to cut your vein and give your all. And greatness is applied. Like, greatness in your life is not singular. I'm not singularly a great photojournalist. Right now, I'm not being a great photojournalist or a great father. I'm just trying to be a great storyteller with my canary, right? Mm. So if I apply all my greatness to this effort in this moment, then I'm going to be the greatest storyteller talking to Mike Canary ever. So then if I hit the stage for Tops and Blue and I give all my energy to that moment and I apply all of my greatness to that moment, then I'm going to go ahead and, and have some success, I think. So that's my mindset. Cheers to that. Yeah. I, I don't know if I ever thought about it like that, no, but Mike, I think I apply have. it like no, that. No, 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 that's not true. That's <laughs> what not did true. I, did I say something? We, we all say this a lot with the podcast, actually. We, we usually enjoy the episodes the most when we can have the conversations where we all lean in, is what we say. When we yeah. really lean into the conversation, that's exactly what he's describing. Well, I want him to tell us his first song story now, but first I want to know what the first music you owned was. I had to get that in the first segment. I had to. <laughs> so... I heard you asked one of my dearest friends this, Tessa Lesage. Mm. Hi, Tessa. Hi, Tessa. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I cheated and I really started to rack my mind. And I believe it was The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera. Ah. I believe I bought the cassette tape and I played it in one of those... Sony Yellow Walkman. I had one of those Yellow Walkman. Was that from like Karate Kid 2? It was the Karate Kid 2. Oh, yeah. 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 No, no, it was Karate Kid, the first one. It's the first oh. one. It's the first one. That's a sweet yeah. memory for yeah. me, man. Yeah. Okay, um, all right, it is time for song number one. <laughs> that made me so happy. That is just like all of us are grinning ear to ear right now. I got to watch that with my daughter. Yeah. Uh, song number one, Ken Faye, what are you going to do? It's uh, Rhinestone Cowboy by Glenn Campbell, I believe. And so in Woodstock, Illinois, that's the, uh, that's the northern part of Illinois, it's, uh, it's farming country, believe it or not. Corn. I think, in fact, it's like maybe the third biggest producer of corn in the country, right? And like, you know, most... Most farming communities, you know, the people are kind of, they're kind of cool, you know. Um, they got a lot of Bruce Springsteen in them, you might say. You know, <laughs> they work really hard and and uh, and they value family and I don't know. It's just something about being in those kind of communities that I think grows like respect, right? Yeah, they call and, it the heartland, right? Yeah, maybe so, maybe so, maybe so. And so I remember that um, one of the foster homes I was taken to was, was a farm in Woodstock, Illinois. And the, the family was Norman and Crystal. You know, and Norman was, uh, I wrote this down, uh, he was really a mountain of a farmer. You know, he was like a big man. And and Crystal was uh, extremely uh, petite and you know and, and fragile, you might say. And I remember um, 
the caseworker, you know, driving me down this, you know, it, it had to be like a half a mile long gravel road. And then we pulled up outside this um, this farmhouse and, and then there's Norman and and then, you know, it's Crystal. And 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 I think, you know, they pull me out the car and and Crystal, you know, you can you know, she's excited to see this little boy, you know, and. And the next thing I remember is the um, the car going back down that long road, you know, like in, in dust everywhere, you know. And um, I have this clear audio memory of uh, of Norman saying, "This boy ain't white," you know. And then he like pushed or threw me into this. Um, this barbed wire fence, you know, and, and kind of walked away. And then, you know, Crystal comes and she, you know, she fishes me out, you know, she, she pulls me out and I remember her apologizing. And I think because he didn't go right into the house, she, you know, is like, Oh, the coast is clear. I'm going to take you, you know, um, into the house. And, and, and I remember she, um, she took these white socks and, and she wrapped my arms up because uh, my arms were bleeding from being pulled from the uh, the barbed wire. And, and, and I remember um, the white socks. You can start to see like the blood, you know, start to uh, stain the white socks. And so instead of uh, Norman, you know, sending me back to DCF. I guess Crystal's um, desire to to be a mother, she couldn't have kids, you know. Uh, Maybe he said, okay, well, we'll keep him, you know, but we're not sending him to school. He's going to be like a farmhand. Hmm. How old were you? (laughs) I think I was seven. Wow. I was seven. So he's going to be like a farmhand and and I'm just going to work him, you know. And, uh, Mike, I think I worked from, uh, I like to say from can't see in the morning, like to can't see at night. And, um, you know, I, I think I did everything, you know, and, and I have these memories uh, of, of crystal, like begging him, you know, like stop working the boy so hard, you know, let him rest or, or at least send him to school. Now, there are some farmers who I put in the class of the others and, and they deal with the stresses of farm life by drinking. Right. And Norman was one of those. And so, you know, if she would happen to make that plea while he was drunk, then he would just beat her to a pulp. Hmm. I mean, he would just, you know, beat her mercilessly. And then he would, you know, beat me and, 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 and he kept coming back to this, you know, that boy ain't white, you know, that boy ain't white. And um, one night he comes home and, and he's drunk, obviously. And just for no reason, he just, you know, he just starts beating this woman. And it gets to the point where he picks her up and and just imagine a, what a, a table in a farmhouse would look like. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wouldn't be dainty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll be like big. Substantial. Yeah. And, um, you know, he punched her and 
things of that nature. And then he picks her body up and he raises her over his head and he brings her down with all his might on top of the table, you know, and, and, you know, it just, it, it just destroys the table. Mm. And, and I remember seeing the sides of the table, uh, the ends of the table jutted up in the air and the, and, you know, and the splintering, like pushing down into her. I, I just remember that. And I ran over to her and, uh, <laughs> Um, I started to like pull wood like off of her and like out of her, her face. And then the next thing I remember is um, Norman grabbed me by my ankle and he swung me around his head, you know, like, like a, like a lasso. And then he just let go. And I, crashed into what they had back then in that time were these these cast iron floor radiators that kept a house warm and there were pans on top and you put water on the top of the pan to keep the house warm and I crashed into that like head first You know, run, 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 you know, is what I heard. And so I I ran to the barn and it was just full of hay, you know, and hay bales. And I, I, I positioned myself like in between the columns of the hay bales. So if you came in the barn, you couldn't see me. Right. And I sat there and I. As, as clear as day, I was, I was just like shuddering and shaking. And I remember frantically trying to stuff straws of hay into my nose to stop the bleeding. And as I was doing that, I hear someone singing. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Do, do. Sitting high on a horse at a star-spangled rodeo Like a rhinestone cowboy And I thought it was Norman like coming into the into the barn It wasn't um, the radio Huh in the barn had been left on. You want to listen to it? Yeah. This is Rhinestone Cowboy, uh, performed by Glenn Campbell, released in 1975. So what's it like for you to be listening to that song here with us now, through the lens of that story? I mean, you're singing along, sort of. I mean, I know that's not a good memory, but what about the music and what it brings you to and what it makes you feel? I think what I hear now when I hear that song is I I think about Crystal's desire to be a mother 
in her desire to give a little boy who desperately needed a mother an opportunity, right? And I think about the courage it took for her to stand up for me, right? And like protect me and endure those beatings for me, you know? And I I think about um, after that evening, uh, she, uh, I think she drugged me to a payphone and she was hollering to a payphone, come get this boy. My husband's going to kill him. My husband's going to kill him. I think I don't think about the pain that I endured when I hear that song. I think I might have tried to uh, reclaim it, you might say, mm-hmm. in, in a positive way. But when I hear that song and looking back at it now, maybe through, uh, of course, a more lived life, uh, it's the origins of my admiration for women and for mothers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying by that? Man. Right. Absolutely. I mean, to like she had to go back to that house after she left that payphone, And I guess a caseworker took me up. What happened to Crystal? Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. I do. So I don't feel sad when when I hear it anymore. I, I, I feel um, maybe grateful is more than anything. Plus. You know, um, there's a lyric in there where he talks about, you know, he's going to be in the spotlight. And and uh, I like to think that maybe for a lot of my career, <laughs> my work has placed me in an opportunity to to give some light to others. Um, when was the last time you'd listened to it? And was it an easy choice for this? I mean, when you when you sat down to find your three songs, did that story, that song, the lesson you learned, the way it reframed how you see you know, moms, they'll come to you quickly or did you have to go find it? If you could uh, give me an opportunity to, to share some stories, right? I might as well cut my vein. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why come on here and talk about something that somebody might can't learn from, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So... It was either this or there was a, another one that was born in a similar situation. But this one felt like because of the seed of admiration for women and mothering that it planted, I felt it would be worth telling. We appreciate you leaning in, as Tara put it earlier, because we call this biography through music, and we've learned through 140-plus shows that it's not just the songs that they choose and the stories that they tell. It's which stories they choose to tell. And you're, there's a spectrum there, you know? And you recognize that, and you're way over here. <laughs> so thank you. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? A reader. A reader. Yeah, I thought there was a profession where you got paid to read. You could be an audiobook narrator. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know I could be an audiobook narrator. That's the only thing I could come up with. I wanted to be a reader. I would uh 
I was I stayed in a lot of bad places in foster care. So to avoid going straight home after school, I, I would go to the library mm-hmm. or I would catch the L downtown to the big library, right? And I would I would read about you know everything, and so I, I wanted to be a, a reader, and <laughs> that's what I wanted to be as a reader. What were the kinds of books that you were attracted to as a kid? Was there a particular genre? Like I was really into like certain fantasy books and things like that. Did you have a, a, a style of book or storytelling or fiction that you were most drawn to? Um, I was drawn to uh, movie books. Hmm. Like War Games oh, okay. <laughs> with Matthew Broderick, right, but, right, right. but the movie the version of the yeah. book, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. the like the book will have the movie poster on the cover. Mm-hmm. And it's the dialogue from from right, the movie, of great. course. You right, know? right, so right. I would I would read that or, or Rambo. Right, right. Well, right. I, ma- I made a mistake and read the original, like First Blood, and yeah. that's like really, really. That's not the movie different version. Story. Yeah, different, whole different thing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not that. And then probably the book that probably uh, shaped my life the most was uh, I was on a subway one time going downtown, and, and like a, a man who might be classified today as transient, he came and sat by me, and he was really, you know, really a transient. And I was like, man, why'd you sit by me? You know, and I didn't have a book with me, and and he started screaming at me, how come you don't have a book? And so he thrust the autobiography of Malcolm X into my hand, huh. you know, and. Uh, and that book really, you know, that book really shaped me. But I would say probably uh, movie books and then, you know, Malcolm's story was one that was uh, influential. How'd you wind up in the Air Force? I needed to escape Chicago. That was like, that was your way out? Yeah. I, I, I didn't join the Air Force out of any great sense of country. I didn't join, you know, the Air Force because anyone in my family had... Um, when you grow up the way that I grew up, you have two choices, repeat or escape, mm-hmm. right? And each person in my situation is given an opportunity to make that choice. And by the time I joined the Air Force, my mind had been opened up by my third song <laughs> 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 that I, uh, you know, I, d- I decided to escape. And so what'd you, where'd you go? Like you, you went down, you re- just registered, then they sent you off to somewhere and then you didn't have to come back basically? No, it wasn't like that. I was living in my car at the time. Oh. And so uh, there, uh, there was a hole in the wall recruiting station. Now, if, if you're from the, you know, from the ghetto like me, there's a hole in the wall church, which, which means like it's literally like a hole in the wall, right? Right. And it was probably the, uh, the recruiting station was closed, but uh, I, I don't know how I happened to, to walk by it, but, you know, I went inside and, oh, I had just uh, saw Rambo, and so I wanted to join the Army, and, <laughs> and the Army recruiter was closed, and the Air Force recruiter said, well, if you have any sense, you know, if you have any brains, you know, you'll join the Air Force. And so... You know, um, I signed up then, and then you have to go get a a physical at the MEP station, and then you have to wait a couple of months for a, a date to enter into the Air Force. And so I think uh, I probably waited 60 days, and then um, I joined, and, you know, and that was 12 years of traveling the world. So you, you said you were living in your car then. Can you um, kind of walk us through what <laughs> foster and then into emancipation, like what, how does that work from a practical standpoint? 
Well, I'm pretty old like Mike, so it probably works differently now. But you know, yeah, how did it? Right, but back then, you know, I would say back when we were kids. Yeah, my dad tell you what. Mike and Tara trying to interject some levity into this Edgar Allan Poe story, but uh, we have to. So. Um, you know, um, if you're never adopted, you just go home to home. And then once you reach 18, it's kind of up to you, really. I mean, um, the government is going to stop giving people checks to care for you, right? And they're not going to give you any money to care for yourself. So you kind of either stay with the last family you're placed with, you know, if if that happens, or you're out on your own. And like I said, I think my mind had been opened a lot by that time and and I kind of just refused to live a uh, a predestined life you know for someone in that type of situation so you know off into the wild blue yonder what was it like to go to from you know a lack of stability and structure to a, an abundance of stability and structure yeah. being in the military where suddenly you know you had a job you had a place to sleep you had clothes to wear you had people telling you what exactly to do what was that like? It was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was. It was. It was very difficult. I uh, during my career in the Air Force, I won like Airman of the Year, maybe like three or four times, and you know, honorable discharge and all kinds of awards. But that first year, they sent me to correctional custody because I couldn't get along with anybody. You know, I was always fighting everybody, and. You know, uh, it wasn't jail, but it was like close to it, you know. So I I was disciplined a lot, you know, in my first year because I don't know what love is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't trust anyone, you know. So it was it was hard for me to form our friendships for sure that first year. But, you know, I don't know. I think music helped me kind of form friendships too any songs uh that bring you back to the air force not from your singing times but just being in the air force being around you know the guys and the gals and uh what you know what era songs would those have been Um, journey you got a uh, journey shirt on yeah well (laughs) i don't know that steve perry is the best male vocalist of all time but I do know he's in the top one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so don't start talking about Journey right Mike, now. Mike, why don't you tell the... No, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I was going to say. You got a good Journey story. He has a great yeah. Journey story. I have an amazing Journey story, but we're not going to talk about <laughs> it right okay, now. Okay. Yeah, so um, I think um, there was a, a song that I remember called uh, uh, Come Go With Me by Expose. And... Uh, a fellow airman of mine named David Pate, when we graduated from um, tech school, we drove from Illinois to Victorville, California for our first training assignment. And, and we drove across the country in his gray Thunderbird. And we were so broke that we shared a, a hotel room and bed in Las Vegas on the strip on the way out to California. And he had this expose tape called Come Go With Me, I believe it is. And uh, he played it so much that uh, I think uh, it, it stayed with me. I'm digging their outfits. Richard looked them up really quickly. Here we go. Yeah, that's it. Is it expose? Yes. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Oh, this is pure 80s this right is here. This is the most 80s thing. <laughs> 1980s, 1987. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, so, so just imagine, you know, uh, a dark-skinned brother and a white guy driving across the country with this plan, like 24 hours. <laughs> if you're listening, you owe it to yourself to go look up the music video for this. Yes. It's, it's like time traveling to the 80s. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, okay, so when did uh, a camera first hit your hands? Was that something that you sought out? Was that something that you fell into? The whole journalism thing. I mean, how do you go from, you know, the Air Force singing some and fixing jet planes to, you know, shooting for a newspaper, etc.? I didn't discover uh, photojournalism until maybe I was 30 years old. I had just left the service. I had took a job as a technical editor making like $65,000 a year back then, which is a lot of money. And then my son asked me one day, you know, what do you do? And, and I said, oh, you know, I, I, I write these manuals that the Air Force uses to, you know, to go and, you know, to fly their planes. And he says, oh, so you kill people. I was like, I guess, yeah, I, I guess so, if you kind of put it that plainly, right? So I think maybe a couple of months after that, I was like, you know, um, if I can't give my all to this mentally, then I probably need to move away. So one day him and I were in, in, in the Macon Mall in Macon, Georgia, and uh, I had saved some money, so I wasn't desperate for work. And we go into Wolf Camera, and then we walk out of Wolf Camera, and then this lady is running down the mall, and she stops me, and she says, uh, you were just in my store, and uh, I think you have a great smile. Have you ever been a salesman before? I was like, no. No, and I'm not really, you know, looking to do anything. And I know nothing about cameras. And she was like, okay, well, hey, you know, the season is coming up. If you change your mind, let me know. So I'm trying to push through the story. So I changed my <laughs> mind and I come back to the store and, uh, you know, we're there. And I'm selling cameras, Mike, and I'm smiling and I'm flirting like with everybody that comes in there, right? Because <laughs> I'm getting all these great commissions. And I had never taken a picture before. And so then... One day, a lady comes in and she's crying. Her photographer for the Pan-African Festival in Macon had bagged out. She was so desperate, she was uh, resorted to looking in camera stores. And so she's crying and um, I'm like, well, I can't help you. <laughs> you know, I can sell you a camera so you can go take a picture yourself, but I can't. And I worked with an older white gentleman and his race is only important because of what he said. And he said, see, that's the problem. Like you black people don't stick together. <laughs> and his name was Joe. And, you know, I guess Joe might have spoke a little bit of truth there. And so I told that lady begrudgingly, I said, OK, listen, I'm going to grab a camera. I'm going to do your Pan-African festival. You're going to pay me $100. And then you're going to come here on Monday and you're going to get the premium printing. And, and you're not going to have <laughs> anything to say about how the pictures turn that out. That lady was right. You're a good salesman. Right? Yeah, I, right? I want to buy a camera right. from so, you. Yeah. And so that's what happens. And like three days later, um, uh, Woody Marshall from the Macon Telegraph, about 100,000 circulation paper. He calls me and he says, uh, is there a Ken Fay Marodi there? And I was like, yeah, this is Ken Fay. He's like, you know, I'm Woody Marshall, director of photography. Uh, can you come down and meet us? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, yes, I got the camera account <laughs> yeah, they're gonna, for I'm gonna the s- Macon Telegraph. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And so, man, I get all of my sales stuff together. <laughs> I got all of the Canon cameras that they don't use, of course. I didn't know that at the time. And I hustle down there, right? And I get there. And uh, he meets me at the front. He says, oh, well, come upstairs. And I go upstairs to the, you know, to the photography uh, uh, department. And he's got all my pictures laid out on the table. This is when they still printed pictures yeah. laid out on the table, right? And he says, um, you know, my coworker, the lady who came into yeah, Wolf Camera, okay. brought these in and was showing them to everybody. And I just wanted, you know, I just wanted to meet the person that took these pictures. And I was like, oh, yeah, I took it, you know, with the Canon Rebel, this, this, and that, yeah. and all that. And he was like, how long have you been taking pictures? And I was like, you know, that, you know, that's the first time I've ever taken pictures. He was like, no, really. I was like, no, that's the first yeah, time. This is I've my debut, sir. No, no, <laughs> this is the first time I've taken the pictures. And this is the camera that you can buy that can get you <laughs> pictures like this. Right? And so he says, you know, I don't want to buy any cameras. And I was like, rah, 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 you know, like Pac-Man, you know, I was like, really? Why, why am I here? And he was like, you know, I just think you can be a great photojournalist. And I said, well, I'm not interested in that. I said, how much does it pay if I were interested? And he said, well, I don't even have a job to offer you. All I can do is possibly get you an internship for $800 for 45 days. And I said, Mr. Marshall, I make $800 a week. You know, I'm, I'm not going to leave Wolf Camera to uh, to come here. And so he um, he uh, he puts he stands up and, and, and he, well, he, well, um, he's standing, of course, but he puts his hands in his pocket and he slumps down with this great coat of disappointment, you know. And all my life, I had wanted someone to believe in me, right? Yeah. All my life. And when he slumped down like that, I said, okay, I'll take this job, but you can't give me the business if it doesn't work out. So I took the job. I went and left with camera. I told my wife at the time I was leaving with camera and that resulted in this is not uh, fun here, but that resulted in that decision resulted in she she didn't believe in me. You know, who does that? Right. And then 45 days later, I had like um, offers from just about every paper in the country to 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 be a photojournalist. So that's how I became a, a photojournalist. And it only happened because. I had no choice but to cut my vein and, and tell the stories, right? And you got a great smile. <laughs> <laughs> That's just... Well, if Tara says I have a great smile, then I, I'll believe it. Um, you do. It, you. it is you. time you. for your song number two. My heart is melting. <laughs> Tara's heart is melting. <laughs> so this is uh, Brenda's Got a Baby by uh, Tupac Shakur. And we can play it after the story. Um, my biological mother, I like to say, was was many things. We are many selves in our life, right? And in the season of her life in which I was born into, um, she was a woman of the night. 
I have a, a clear memory of uh, of her standing before me, and she um, she had on like a probably a rabbit jacket, and she had uh, you know probably what I know now is a bottle of liquor under one arm, and and then she smoked, and then she had like um, the cigarette, you know how it would dangle out of your mouth and she's doing that while she's tying me to a chair with brown extension cords I don't know if you guys remember those but they're brown and she would you know tie me to that chair and then she would like push that chair across the floor to the middle of the room right and I remember like to my right was this refrigerator that always seemed to be open and empty. And then I remember um, just a black spot on the wall to my left. But she would face me toward the door. And, you know, you have a, a memory of, of, of her silhouette like passing through the door. Right. And she would go out, you know, into the streets and she would trade her body for money. And you were tied up so you wouldn't get away or, you know, get outside or get, you know, somebody right. would notice that you weren't being supervised. Probably so. And so what brought her to that point was her family was, was a well-to-do family that lived in like a Tony type neighborhood, you know, really well off neighborhood. And my mother was, was white and they gave her an ultimatum, abort him and stop dating black men. And you can stay in the family and the resources of the family will be yours. But if you don't abort him and if you don't stop dating these black men, you're gone. And so that's what brought her to that season in her life, right? One night, she doesn't come back. And according to my adoption records, it was like three days. And then uh, a caseworker and police officers found me still tied to the chair, you know. And, you know, my mom probably had an unquiet mind. You know, I mean, mental health back then <laughs> you know uh, I looked it up was, was was considered like a private matter you know there was no funding there was no public money for that there was no outcry or anything like that so that season of her life she, you know she felt like she had to do what she had to do and so I get placed in foster care and I never, 
I don't have a memory of seeing her again. Um, the only proof that I had that I did see her again was uh, a photo that was in my adoption record. I think I sent it to you. I think you might have seen it. You know, I was the little boy on the on the far right. And when I was 14, I used to walk to the bus stop to catch the bus to high school, the city bus. And at the time, um, um, there were still newsstands and we would buy like the Chicago Sun-Times for a quarter so you can read the horoscope. And one day I uh, bought the um, Chicago Sun-Times and on the front page was a story about people being murdered in a bar in the wee hours of the morning. And there was a name and a picture and Judith A. Webster was, you know, was one of, of, of the people. And, and that was my mother. And I didn't care. I was so angry with her for the life she had lived, you know, and for what her decisions about her life had placed me in. By that time, I had been like raped twice. I had been set on fire twice. You know, I've had, I've got a permanent, you know, nod on the back of my head, courtesy of Norman. You know, I don't wear shorts because of the burns on my legs. So her death at that time and the understanding of her life at that time, I was indifferent, you know. But then when I got older and... Um, I heard this song by Tupac Shakur. It uh, 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 a lot more things became clear. All right, this is uh, Brenda's Got a Baby by Tupac uh, from his debut album released in uh, 1991. After I heard that song, I saw my mother's life completely different. Right? Mm -hmm. Tupac unpacked for me a clarity about what my mother actually did for me. Right? They offered her the world to kill me. Mm -hmm. That's making it plain. And she said, no, I'm not. And I'm willing to go out there and endure what I have to. And I'm going to do what I have to do. And I'm going to deal with my unquiet mind the best way I can. But I'm not going to kill this baby inside of me. Mm 
Do you understand? Yes. And so when a mother gives birth, anything else she gives you after that is extra. Okay? The most heroic thing any human being can do on this earth is give birth. And so when I heard Tupac tell that story, it removed the anger that I had for my mother. And when that anger was removed, I was able to see some of her efforts to try and be a mother differently. Right? I, I don't do that, that whole heaven thing. I'm not intelligent enough to understand that. Okay? But let's just say there is one. That's my boy. Yeah. You see my boy? That's my son. He served his country. Look at the moments he captures. Look what he gives to his daughter, his son. Hey, come here. That's my boy. Without that song, I don't see that. Without that song, I don't see my life as an ointment for her life. The better I live my life, the more she heals wherever she's at. Do you understand that? Yeah. Do you really try to get your mind around that? So I don't look at my mother's life through rose-colored glasses. I don't. But I no longer hold against her, her efforts to try and be a mother to me. Is that clear? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know... That's my boy. When you <clears throat> saw that picture, when you heard that song, when it reframed things for you, did you have anybody at that time that you could share that with? No, I, I, I haven't shared <laughs> that with anybody. Um, I'm not good at, at, at relationships extremely up close. So I think I'm too untrusting. And um, I don't know, those type of relationships require a lot of trust. So thank you for trusting us. Yeah, thank you. I don't um, I don't do that. Well, I can talk about it, you know, but not. We all push crosses up Calvary, Mike, right? Tara's got some, Richard's got some, Julie's got some, Tessa's got some. We all have crosses that we have to push up Calvary. 
I'm not sure if me giving you mine will, <laughs> you know, will, will be uh, the smart thing to do. When you started Hopeful Images, was the name Hopeful Images, emphasis on hopeful, what you knew you were going to do? Um, ask that differently. Why did you choose Hopeful? Because I don't do the love thing really well. I don't have a, a, a clear understanding of what it means to give and receive love. Um, I, know what, I know what hope is, and I know what inspiration is, right? So um, Tessa, right? Uh, we talk a lot, and when I leave Tessa, Tessa's presence or I hang up the phone, I want to be better. That's got nothing to do with love, right? That's got to do with inspiration, you know, and I feel more hopeful. You see what I mean by that? And and maybe when I leave here and and I'm driving home, I might feel the same way about this interaction. And that's got nothing to do with with love, right? That's more got to do with being inspired. And then that inspiration leads to some hope, right? Um, Loving is easy. Anybody can do that. But I think it takes something a little bit more to 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 maintain hope and 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 to uh, and to inspire someone. So when I created Hopeful Images, uh, um, I think that name was meant to do that. That when you see the work that I do, you look at the nonprofits that I work with. Hopefully, you see some hope in there, no matter how it looks, right? And then you also to inspire to help, right? Plus, it had a great, uh, is it an acronym, Tara, H-I, hi? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's some, there's, some, uh, there's some John Nash thinking going on there. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, um, I've always thought of, of art in general, but photography in, in, in specific here, that there's, a, there's, there's two sides to it. There's the moment that's happening and how, you know, true or maybe authentic that moment is and then there's the photographer who's in that moment and maybe how true or authentic they're being and when all of that aligns then you end up with something that other people can feel both ends of that coming together and i think you do like as good a job as that as i've ever seen Mm -hmm. thank you so i hope that made sense (laughs) we're going back into the song stories now um most overplayed song of all time, in your opinion? Any Beatles song. That's like the second time in a row. Well, yeah. they are played a lot. No, so. but one of our recent guests just said that the exact same thing. I'm having deja vu. Even if you said the most overrated group of all time, I think that might be the same answer. Are you into the Rolling Stones? Usually it seems like if you hate the Beatles, you love the Stones. Well, you know, um, which group would be from Chicago? So I probably would be more into the Rolling Stones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Best concert experience of your life? I've only been to two concerts. Which one do you like Pick one, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Well, then the question no, is, no, list no, your no. concerts. <laughs> well, I saw Michael Jackson in concert, his first oh, tour. No. Wow. Richard is just dumb. Oh, right. so jealous. His first solo tour uh, at the Rosemont Horizon in Illinois. I saved my little money and bought the $75 oh, ticket. Um, and then I saw James Taylor in Tampa. Oh. 
right? So I probably would say good job. Uh, I, yeah, I, I probably would say uh, James Taylor mm. because uh, I'm a storyteller, and I'm, yeah. I'm not. Sh- Let me go back to that Steve Perry thing. I'm not saying that James Taylor is the best songwriter of all time, but I am saying that James Taylor is number one. I have a very, 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 very special place in my heart for James Taylor and all things Yeah, James so Taylor. I probably would say uh, uh, James Taylor is the, uh, is the best concert I've ever went to. Um, what band or musician have you spent the most time in your life listening to? Not necessarily like my favorite band question, but just, you know, if you if you had some magic spreadsheet that added up all the listening time. Someday I think we're going to all have magic spreadsheets that tell us our entire life's I data. I don't want that at all, but <laughs> I, I guess either, that's but... also cool in a weird way. I don't know. <laughs> uh, probably be, you know, um, the hammer of all. Freddie Mercury. Queen. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I would have laughed if you said Beatles, though. And then, and then, <laughs> um, and then after that, it would have to be... Uh, any band that Steve Perry has been in, I think he's only been in one. So that yeah. would be Journey, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, you brought up Journey again. I got to tell my story real quick. Okay, one of my best childhood friends, and he's still one of my best friends to this day. He could sing like like a, he's a singer, like to the core of his being, he's a singer, and he could he's like a vocal mimic. So he could sing like he used to do Axl Rose, sound just like Axl Rose. He'd do Steve Perry, sound just like Steve Perry. Gets out into the world, gets out into life, starts a little side project called Frontiers. It's a Journey tribute band. We all make fun of him for it. It, gro- <laughs> it grows in popularity to where he's touring around, you know, half of the United States making real money doing it. Uh, uh, the guys from Journey find him on YouTube. They come to his concert. They take him to California. He spends a month with him and records a song with him. And then they end up not hiring him because of some personal reasons, and they hired the guy Arnold Panetta, who's their, his, that's who they hired after they didn't hire my buddy Jeremy. But my, he gets a check every quarter, though, because he wrote songs for their album. Yeah. Well, that's great, but <laughs> that's great. But, but he ain't no Steve Perry. <laughs> but 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 two quick comments before we get to something <laughs> on on like uh, name that tune is uh, uh, first of all the fact that you even think someone can replace Steve Perry in oh. Germany is is blasphemy. Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna... Uh, you can go get. I don't care what you go get. Just don't just don't <laughs> yes. play. Just don't play anybody else unless it's Steve Perry in Journey. And let me tell you how great. And memorable and impressionable Steve Perry is. You can have a singing contest and invite all the legends of singing, right? Mm-hmm. And they will come and they will sing. You know, it's a contest. You would have to sing, right? Steve Perry could just walk in the room and not sing and win the contest. <laughs> it's like, why did you invite him? I thought this was a fun thing, and you go and bring Steve Why you gotta go Perry. ruin it in the day? Exactly, why go get Steve Perry? Yeah. And you know I'm we were right. No, we don't have a chance now. And, and you know I'm right, because he leaves an impression yes. on you that no matter how he sounds that day, it's not going to matter. I love that you're, Mike is still going to try to change oh, your mind. Well, no, Mike, stop. <laughs> no, he's, no gonna... he's doing it. He doesn't care. <laughs> All right, what do you got? What, what's this like? Okay, so... Oh, it's crowd sound. Funny. But it's crowd, crowd sound. sound. See, then Keen Fey's right. <laughs> I guess he's... 
Stop. Stop. Can't hear him anyway. Mike. Can't hear him anyway. Bad recording. Mike, you were above Terry Gross. You were above Terry Gross. That's okay. I have to go to the map for my buddy Jeremy. You were above. It was Mike Canary, Terry Would Gross. Would I have Terry now Gross on this Terry podcast? I'm going to tell Canary. her the Ken Faye, Steve Perry story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's time for your third song, Ken <laughs> Poor Shane. Oh. And so uh, this one is a, a little bit more lighter. So <laughs> I know everybody in Radio Land is like, great, thank you. Um, it's We Are the World. Mm-hmm. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and um, when I was in high school, I, I worked at Mighty Key Discount Mufflers, and it was an African-American business on the south side of Chicago. And so, Ken Fay, uh, why is that important? It's important because there weren't many um, African-American-owned businesses at that time on the south side of Chicago. And because it was like owned by someone from the neighborhood, it had more of a barbershop feel to it than a place you go and and you and you fix your car. And when you're in that kind of environment, you feel extremely comfortable. Right. And you can be more of your authentic self whoever that may be in that season of your life. And, and you know, you, you, you drop the N-word and you don't have to worry about it, right? Or you, or you can be, like, extremely uh, emotional when arguing a point and, and no one's going to call the police. <laughs> so right. yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a freedom there. And so um, I worked there amongst, you know, that type of uh, environment. Now, there was a gentleman there, and his name was Chris, And not only was he the best mechanic at the shop, but he was probably the coolest brother on the whole south side of Chicago. I mean, he had the best Mustang. It was always waxed. And he had, you know, great wheels and rims on it. And he had this Alpine stereo system. And he was just everything that I wanted to be. together. Yeah. You know, he was just like... He was just there, man. He was, you know, he was like water. He just flowed. Oh, yeah. he, he, he was really great. Bruce Lee That's references. That's my favorite quote of all time. I love that. And so, um, you know, uh, Chris and I would hang out. We, well, not Chris and I would hang out. I probably, you know, it's better to say I would hang around the hem of Chris's garment, garment <laughs> you know, hoping to get some of that coolness rubbed off on me. <laughs> And so one day, you know, um, he asked me to take his girlfriend home. Now, if you're the coolest brother on the south side of Chicago, of course, you have, you know, a beautiful girlfriend. Right. And she was nice. And he said, hey, you know, um, I need you to take her home. She had come to visit him on the bus. And, you know, it was getting late. And so I was like, yeah, okay." So I went to get the shop truck, you know, the supply truck. You know, that, you know, that I drive to go pick up supplies and stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, take my car. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, like, I'm going to drive, you know, Chris's Mustang and his beautiful girlfriend home. Like, I was like 
you know, I didn't show it, but I was like beside myself. Right. And so he gives me the keys. And I remember, you know, she's walking toward the car and I'm like, you know, I don't know how I'm getting to the car. I'm probably gliding right about now, Mm -hmm. but I'm getting there and I hear him clear as day. He says, don't change the radio station. Right. And I was like. Okay, but I'm not even thinking about the radio station right now. I'm just thinking about driving this, you know, young lady home and getting back here without crashing yeah. your Don't car. Don't kill her or <laughs> kill the car, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly, right? What so, color was the Mustang? Oh, it was know. blue. Ooh. It was a hatchback. Grab it was blue. just yes. phenomenal. Yeah. It was phenomenal. And so, you know. I, I drive her home. I have no memory of the drive at all besides 10 and 2, you know, 10 and 2, get her home, right? And I don't even think I talked to her. I was, we didn't even turn the radio on, you know, I was so nervous. And so get her home, she gets out, and I'm sitting there in the car, and I'm too nervous to drive now. I'm like, I just got to make it back. I even thought about, like calling a tow truck. I was going to say. <laughs> I thought about calling a tow truck because, you know, yeah. you know, like you're in, in the business. You can, you can get a tow truck as you show up because, you know, it was about a half an hour drive and it's getting late at night. So anyway, I said, you got to calm down. I said, just turn the radio on right now. WGCI is the R&B station in Chicago. You live on the south side of Chicago. It doesn't matter that there are other radio stations. You listen to this radio station, WGCI. So I turn the radio on, and it's not WGCI. Ah, he was cheating on WGCI. It's WLS, right? And I'm like, what the hell is this? Right, I'm probably 16 now, maybe. And I'm like flipping out because I don't recognize any of these voices. They sound all right, but I don't know any of them. And as I'm driving, I'm not going to change the station either, right? (laughs) So (laughs) it's like a half an hour and I'm driving back and I'm hearing names I've never heard before. Pat Benatar, Huey Lewis and the News, Phil Collins, you know, um, Hall and Oates, right? Yeah. And, and. I'm hearing this, and I've never heard these names before. I've never heard this music before. So I get back to the shop. I park the car, you know, and I, and I go to Chris. I was like, hey, man, she got home. The, the, the car is good to go. I probably didn't say it this cool as I'm about to say it now, but I was like, what's up with the radio station, man? He said, did you change my radio? I was like, no, but it, it wasn't like WGCI. He was like, listen, white folks can sing, too. right and I don't know what I said but whatever I said made him say especially Steve Perry (laughs) right was this a new name for you at the time yeah yeah, because what you have to remember is this now okay there are levels to R&B music yeah okay hold on Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston had crossed over, Mm -hmm. and when they crossed over at that point in my life, they were out of R&B rotation 
Got it. On WGCI. Yeah, gotcha. totally so pop. they didn't straddle. Yeah. They left. So like, yeah, so, pop. No, so, no, 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 no. WGCI disowned any crossover right, 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 right. African American artists. Understood. Okay. So, so who was up? Um, Diana Ross. So, Tina so Turner. the only people that I was aware of that played in heavy rotation, we're talking about the OJs. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Teddy Pendergrass. We're talking about Al Green. Al Green yeah. We're mm-hmm. talking about Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Stevie Wonder. Yeah. So it's different levels to R&B, right? There yeah. was no, no. Either you were still in the ghetto R&B, right? Or you totally pop right. and we're not playing you. Because in a lot of ways, when those artists at that time left didn't leave but when they were accepted by others they didn't feel like ours anymore you understand what i mean yeah yeah mm-hmm. right and so not only was chris not listening to, he wasn't listening to whitney or michael but he was listening to people that were white and i had never Phil heard Collins, of before in I my life that. right and so anyway history you know we're having this conversation and then he says you know this steve the steve perry guy he's going to be singing on a song that's coming out pretty soon here and in fact it's going to play at the same time around the world and he was like it's called we are the world and he was like when it plays we'll listen to it in the shop and i was like Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. 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 Okay. But sure enough. But he's that cool. He is. Hold on now. But sure enough, and I only remembered the date because I looked it up here the other day. But on March twenty sixth, I believe it was nineteen eighty six. Sure enough, like six thousand radio stations around the world played "We Are the World." Now I do remember this clearly about that day. I remember Chris going over to the radio in the shop, which is like the Holy Grail, Mm -hmm. okay? (laughs) Turning off like the OJs, which are like music gods Uh (laughs) in the African-American community, and turning on WLS in time Mm -hmm. to catch We Are the World being played. Now, it didn't, he didn't turn it right on and it was there. I guess we had to endure a couple of, <laughs> you know, Sarah Smiles going on, right? And the shop was crazy. They were giving Chris the business. They were like, Chris, cut that off. And he was like, no, we're going to listen to this. I'm the best mechanic in this shop. I don't care if y'all think alike. I want to listen to this station. I'm listening to this station. And then some guy was like stupid enough to try to make a beeline to the radiator. I mean, mean, to the radio. And Chris standing there with the torch in his hand, he kind (laughs) of like pumps the torch twice and gives him this, I dare you touch that radio look on his face, right? And sure enough, here comes this song, you know, We Are the World. And it plays, right? And Chris is working on the car and I'm holding the pipe that he's welding and not to get overly serious here but it was like that scene from Shawshank Redemption when the prisoners are on top of the roof and and they've got that beer and just for a moment <laughs> all of the confines that they had been living in right just for that one moment were gone and as I heard that song 
And as he was telling me, each artist that was singing, um, my world and my mind just kept opening up with each new voice that I heard to the point where when I look back on that time, that's when I stopped being someone who lived their life through race. My race was no longer my introduction to the world. Chris's insistence that you like what you like, regardless of what environment you're in, and the fact that someone like Stevie Wonder was co-signing Bruce Springsteen, Mm -hmm. right? And Diana Ross was co-signing Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If Stevie Wonder thinks it's cool to hang with Bruce Springsteen, then maybe I should give, you know, Bruce Springsteen a shot. And so what happened was my mind just went completely open. Well, let's listen to it. I remember when that came out. It was a global phenomenon. No doubt. And you're exemplifying that. Somebody needs to do a documentary about everybody talking about their listening to We Are the World song. That's a good idea. Uh, it's a charity single. Uh, it was recorded by the supergroup USA for Africa, uh, written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, produced by Quincy Jones. It's the eighth best selling physical single of all time. Let's listen. I have not listened to that in so long, and I could see it, I could hear it. I knew right when Cindy was coming in. I mean, it, it's all still just so in there. That's such a cultural phenomenon, man. That's so awesome. Yeah, before that song, I own, like of all those singers in that group, I only knew two, Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross. And then after that experience, you can see how this can open up a mind I then knew Hall and Oates. I then knew Bob Dylan. I then knew Kenny Rogers. I did know. I did knew. I, I found out about Mister Meet Me Halfway, Kenny Loggins, <laughs> yeah. right? Right. And then you find out about all of these other people, and then you hear about their experiences. And if you're open, then your conditions about who you are really start to fall away, right? Now, it takes great courage to not put them back on you, right? To not run and join National Association for Black Journalists, right? I'm not a black journalist. I'm just a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. So we are the world, believe it or not, really uh, made me a world citizen, right? And Chris's uh, insistence on thinking for oneself Uh, made me a world citizen. And the last thing about We Are the World is um, there's a poet, I believe his name is John Doane, D-O-A-N-N-E, and he talks about um, every man's death uh, affects me because I'm a part of mankind. So don't ask for whom the bell tolls because the bell tolls for thee, for me, right? So we haven't even talked about how at that time that message in that song was a different way of saying what John Doan said, right? Mm-hmm. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. Don't ask from who the bell tones. You know, yeah. it, 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 it rings for me, right? So, uh, yeah, it's great, man. And I, I, I just think that... Um, The more, at least for me, the more experiences that I can have that pry open and pry away conditions that I have on me, 
are better. And that's what the musical Band-Aids have done for me. Uh, you can see how We Are the World was, was a Band-Aid. And you can see how Brenda's Got a Baby, you know, was a Band-Aid. And, and, and even, and even uh, Rhinestone Cowboy, you know, so... Yeah, that's it. Did uh, did um, did the radio in the muffler shop ever go back to just immediately go back to WGCI? Or? I don't. I, I don't remember that day. You know, uh, I try to stay true to the yeah. the journalist creed here and not mm-hmm. you know have revisionist history. I don't remember. I, the last memory I have is just you know helping Chris fix the car and us singing the song and him explaining. But I do know that after that. I went out I went out and made an effort to buy Phil Collins to buy Huey Lewis's four album right mm-hmm. you know um stuck with you is is the four album right yeah. I, I found yeah. out who Pat Benatar was and and I found out you know if you feel like leaving you know you can go <laughs> But why don't you wait until tomorrow? You know, like hauling notes. I found out who those guys were, and 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 I was like, you know, this is it. You know, uh, I'm not the same anymore. And and music did that for me. So uh, you asked earlier, like, what kind of impressions did I have as a as a child with music? My impressions came afterward. I think, you know what I mean, like in in the traditional sense. And then, you know, like I said. Um, Steve Perry's the greatest of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to um to give a scale just for for people born let's say in this millennium, uh, which is twenty year olds, <laughs> up to even even in the nineties, um of the scale of Hi, this, youngsters. Uh, yeah. Oh God, <laughs> Hi, what's yeah. up, fellow kids? The twenty five year olds. <laughs> I mean, if you're thirty, then you were you you were f- uh, this was five years before you were born, right? Yeah. So like, um, so just the scale of this thing. Because I don't think there's any, been anything like it ever. I'm going to make an attempt here in one breath to read the <laughs> soloists and the backup singers. we got to make it interesting. <clears throat> we are the world. Soloists and singers. Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, James Ingram, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Willie Nelson, Al Jarreau, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Kim Carnes, uh, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles, Dan Aykroyd, Harry Belafonte, Lindsey Buckingham, Mario Kipolina, I ran out of breath. Uh, Johnny Cola, Sheila E, Bob Geloff, Geloff? Geloff? Gildolf. Gildolf. Oh, Gildolf. Um, Bill Gibson, Chris Hayes, Sean Hopper, Jackie, uh, Jackie Jackson. Latoya? <laughs> Latoya Jackson, Jackson Latoya. Marlo, all of the all Jacksons. The Jacksons. <laughs> um, Tito. Tito Jackson, Tito's Randy Jackson, there. Marlon Jackson, Wayne Jennings, uh, Waylon Jennings, Bette Midler, John Oates, Jeffrey Osborne, the Pointer Sisters, and Smokey, Smokey Robinson. Robinson. Right. And imagine a, a 2020 There's era nothing that can like come song close to that. with who would the, be in the 2020 version of that? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, Bob who has to be yeah. the grumpiest <laughs> songwriter <laughs> of all time. He put aside his grumpy nature mm-hmm. and and like made his way to the studio. A lot of those artists came after the American Music Awards that they were at. They mm-hmm. came to the studio that night. Oh. Here's another thing. Bruce Springsteen was so, he was so moved by what he was singing about that he recorded the most time. He put, he kept saying, I need to do this better. Quincy was like, it's great. He was like, no, it's not great for me. I don't feel 
that I've like, you know, cut myself open enough. Right. And so we kind of make fun of him coming in a little bit there, even by the way he sounds. Mm -hmm. But he worked really, really hard, you know, like to 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 make sure that how he felt about it was was there. So I I, I think uh, that song still you know, plays today, it still rings true today. Imagine looking at Quincy Jones and being like, no, you're wrong. I, I want to do it again. <laughs> no, I, I do appreciate Kim Fayor, uh, like like myself. I can't help but I, what I call it, like sing dancing. When I, I am that person and I make the facial expressions and I do the thing with the hand, with the steps and you got to get the whole thing. I, I appreciate that. I was, I was there for it as well. And I'm you and I were sure both that doing that the first time you've ever done that. <laughs> no, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of singing, do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you'll sing with us? Look at what's happening to me. I can't believe it myself. It's Greatest American Hero. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do it in a second. He's pulling it up. That's early in the show, too. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Stand Stand by, stand by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm done singing. I've been off key all day. Oh, please. We got one coming. We got one coming. I'm always here for the sass, so... We or, promise we'll sing louder and or, more off-key uh, than you. <laughs> we need to buy a paid about, version. No, we need a paid version. No, la, la, la. We tease them a lot because we got them okay. on the spot. Welcome oh back. Remember that one? Oh. Mr. Welcome Cotter? Back, welcome, back, yeah. welcome, back, welcome back. Welcome back. All right, here we go. <laughs> Baby, if you ever wonder. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Snaps. I loved this show so much. <laughs> it was happening to me. I can't believe in myself. Gotta find it. Suddenly I'm upon top of the world. It should have been somebody else. <laughs> believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I know because that's way out of my range and people uh, like he didn't sing for sure and it's like we uh, we really really killed that one that was a rough way oh we could have did the WKRP in Cincinnati you know (laughs) if that was better um uh, real quick before we do a speed round here to wrap this up sure um uh when you first got into our radio market were you like WGCU WGCI it's like it's like you and I no no there's only that little difference no no because like I said uh you know by after that moment where Chris and, and that time period, it was just every radio station belonged to me. Sure. You know gotcha. I mean? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, it's my world, and I can just like listen to what I want to. Mike, I know you, and I think that you made that that the, those are close to each other because they're next to each other on the keyboard, isn't it? Yeah, For you and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but it was, <laughs> but it's a dad joke too because you and I, you and I, get it. But I liked it. Do you remember the first song you slow danced to? Did you slow dance to some oh, song the first song I slow your... danced to was um, Open Arms. Ah. 
go figure. Journey. <laughs> Journey, yeah. Uh, Her name was uh, Alva. Alva? Yeah. Pretty. Huh. How old were you? I probably was uh, 18. Nice. Prom. Um, memorable prom? <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Okay. Um, uh, is, uh, I, don't, I think you're probably going to say no. Is there any kind of music you'll avoid listening to? Uh, the um, Breaking the Law, whatever that is. Breaking the Law. Breaking Judas the Priest? Law. Judas Priest. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would avoid listening to it, but I will. Uh, is it like metal, like heavier metal kind of music or just that specifically? If it's. If it lacks a story, that if the story is hard for me to find, I mm. probably will avoid it. Let's let let me say that there, right? Sure. Like if I like James Taylor, then of course you know, I'm I'm looking for a story, and I I don't listen to, um, yeah, I listen to stories, so that and that's that's probably it. that's why, um, after Steve Perry, Randy Travis is the greatest singer mm-hmm. of all time. Good storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, if the story was Kinfei became a championship wrestler, what would be the song he came into the arena on? Time to say goodbye with but, Sarah Brightman Bocelli? and Andrew Bocelli. Oh, yes. yes. Love that song. Wow. In- insert part Owned of that here. that question. Op- opera wrestling. And uh, it, it speaks to the grandiose ego that most artists have. Right? You know, well, what does that say about you as a wrestler? Then? I know, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's so grand. Yeah. Okay. We got a new oh, question. Gosh. We're trying it out on you for the first oh, time. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, if you could, and I, maybe it's your third song, if you could broadcast a song to every person on the planet into their ears and head at the same time, what would you choose? Probably uh, Blown in the Wind by Bob Dylan. Oh. Um, it's something about the storytelling in that song, and it doesn't, it transcends the singer, it transcends even the listener, if you understand what, it doesn't belong to anybody, it belongs to just existence, right? And that song is so... Um, Authentic. It's one of his few. Oh boy, I'm gonna lose a lot of Facebook friends for saying this. I you think hit it's the one of the, hard at the, the, I think the, it's one of his few truly authentic songs where it feels like he's not trying to be clever. He's just um, he's just writing and singing from from hurt. That song inspired Sam Cooke really? to create "Long Time Coming." Oh, no, wow. no, a change is going to come. Change is going to come, yeah. Right, because Sam Cooke said, hey, I didn't know that. we, Bob Dylan, we appreciate you writing this song for our civil rights movement. No hate towards you, but you shouldn't have been the one to do it. We're going to support you, we're going to sing it with you, and we're going to hold it dear and cherish it but goes back to that inspiration thing, right? It inspired him to write, change gotta come. Mm. So yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, blown in the wind. Um, we had a Peter Dear Nui, um, we had a lovely song story from a past guest, Dr. Peter Dear Nui, who uh, 
chose that as one of his song stories. Yeah, and Mr. Green chose change, change is gonna, gonna come. come. Yeah, and he chose yeah. You're in good company, man. That's what we love about this show is that that you know we hear a song and it takes us back to a place in time in our show's history and then also down the memory of our guests' history and it so it just connects us all in this really fascinating way. Now I might be the only one to choose Brenda's got a baby. So far. So far, yeah. <laughs> first two pops on. It is first two pops. It is. Yeah. I'm very, I was excited about that. Um, okay. Uh, what would your 14-year-old self, um, or maybe we'll say 16-year-old self because you're in the muffler shop, think of who you are today and what you've, you know, done with your life? I covered the war in Iraq, and there was a time where the vehicle we were traveling in broke down in the middle of literally a desert and so we had an hour to wait and I went way out into the middle of the desert you know with my camera and I'm just standing there and I said to myself wow you know look where you are you're covering the war and look where you came from right so I think I would say there's an imperfect beautiful soul I think I would say that individual is giving his absolute all to his life I think that's would be a true and more accurate statement hmm. that that 14 year old might say of me right now yeah 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 um, okay, Richard, it's time to ask the, the, yeah. the three songs question. <laughs> oh. This is the mean question. This okay. is a mean question. So, Kinfei, of the three songs that you brought mm-hmm. to listen to today, these are your answers for this, okay? Sure. One of those songs you have to select that will be a song that you can guarantee that in the future people will always be aware of it, know it, listen to it, all that, right? It's never going to go away. Uh, the second one becomes the only song that you get to listen to for the rest of your life. If you turn a radio on, if you listen to something on your phone, that's the only music you get to hear. And then the third one you select will be erased from having ever existed um, and the ramifications that go with that. So you have to sort your three songs into those categories, one for each. Go. The first category would be um, Rhinestone Cowboy. Mm. Um, the second would be We Are the World. I think, uh, as cheesy as it is, <laughs> uh, I think there's enough diversity in it of sound yeah. Yeah, and feeling that it could, I think it could wear well. You Might know. drive you crazy after this. <laughs> <laughs> you walk around humming. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But I remember at the end of Tessa's episode, you know, not the end, but after her Sesame Street song, you something you said stayed with me. It's like we can need we need more. Mm-hmm. You know, we need some hope, right? We do. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Do. And I think um Brenda's got a baby as as life changing as that one was for me if a song like that never has to be written again Mm. you know if an artist is not in an environment where that thing pushes him or her you know if Kate Bush never has to write this woman's work again that might be a good thing Mm. right you know what I mean so I I would say uh, um, nothing against Tupac Shakur (laughs) storytelling no not not at all not at all but the need for that type of song 
would would go away. Very thoughtful. Yes, nice. Definitely. Um, okay, uh, we need to, you to recommend your three people, but I forgot to ask. We are compiling a Three Song Stories cocktail book. Um, if you were a cocktail or a beverage of some kind, what would it be? What would be the kinfei? I've never had a drop of liquor in my life. It doesn't so have to be alcoholic. So. It, it, yeah, it can be a non It could alcohol. be any kind of concoction that you like to drink. It could be a smoothie. I think I'll just be a glass of water. I was just going to say you could be a nice tall glass of water. Same page. No ice. Ice because it's still water, so you might as well have it. Yes, a nice tall glass. It might as well be cold, right? Kinfei garnish it for me. Do you want a lemon garnish Garnish or no garnish? No, just 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 Bruce Lee water would be Bruce Lee water. That's the that's the that's the name. The Bruce Lee water. A man after my own heart. Comes in comes in whatever vessel you want. Exactly. You know, water can crash. Oh my god. Water is beautiful and destructive and everything. Okay. Okay. Time to recommend you three people. I think Carolyn Cole Rogers. Okay. Uh, she's lived a uh, very uh, I know Carolyn. impactful life. And if she's willing to um, to cut a few veins, you I think you'll get some incredibly uh, moving stories. Um, a gentleman by the name of Willie Earl Sparrow. He's an activist. And a great organ player and phenomenal father. And he uh, goes to Mount Olive Church in the Dunbar community. And uh, he's uh, extremely uh, Bobby Fisher thinker. He's got great a great mind and he, he talks differently. And this is great. And then probably I'm going to mess up her name. Um, Milena Mote. And she works at the Collaboratory. And she has, um, from what I can tell, uh, a really good uh, life story that's got some some interesting aspects of it, and and she is pretty uh, inspiring herself. So, All right, we'll put us in touch with them. We'll get them yeah. in here. I think Tessa uh, recommended Milena. Did she? Yeah, we have we have more recommendations <laughs> than slots, so we I got you. But hey, now we got two. Yeah. Um, Kenfei, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for uh, leaning in and uh, and sharing your stories with us. It's been a real treat. Thank you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and sometimes hosts. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For our parting tune this week, we're going back one year again to episode 92 this time with maestro Raphael Ponti, who is music director of the Punta Gorda Symphony and the Paducah Symphony Orchestra. His third song story brought him back 30 years to when he first asked his parents to take music lessons. His dad was the town barber, so he inquired with one of his customers, the trumpet teacher at the local university. And the first piece he taught me was A Trumpeter's Lullaby by Leroy Anderson. Now, Leroy Anderson was the composer in residence with the Boston Pops for years. Okay, so we're talking about Arthur Fiedler days. Uh, with the Boston Pops, and Leroy Anderson, who wrote everything from Sleigh Ride to uh, this kind of music, a lot of tongue-in-cheek, fun, light stuff that were used in the Pops series. He wrote this piece for the principal trumpet at the time was Roger Voisin, the principal trumpeter, 
and this became a real deal. Now, I remember that after, uh, again, because of you asking me for this great project, I hadn't thought about this in like 30 years, you know, but that was my first piece, my first challenge. And I remember thinking, this is so hard. This is what a difficult thing. I'll never be able to learn this thing. What does this guy want me to do? And as I listened back in preparation for the show today, it's the simplest, easy little thing. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, but it was a challenge for a kid who couldn't play enough major scale yeah. to now play a piece of music and then have some style with it and some, some, uh, some class and something and learn how to play the instrument through the repertoire. Right. You know, so I put this on the list because it was my first challenge and the first piece I played. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. You're our super fan. I am such a big fan. I am trying not to You're fangirl out here. I cannot handle it. it right now.